again, it's good to have everybody here today. It's even better to have the Holy Spirit here because He can do so much more within just a few moments, within a few seconds than what I could spend a, a year or two years or three years, a lifetime of speaking to you. And so I, I, I want to just go ahead and, and move right on in this morning. Uh, I, I usually for the past couple of weeks, I've spent some time recapping uh, over this series. And so now we're on part five of this series. So it gets a little harder to, to begin to go over everything. Uh, so if you get the opportunity to go back and watch us on YouTube or, or listen to the podcast, uh, and you'll hear exactly what needs to be heard. Uh, but today, I just want to move on in uh, because just such a, a wonderful topic that I so joyingly love to talk about. And as we're talking about building the kingdom, give us our next slide, baby. We're going to talk about this, the grace of God. And we're going to come to an understanding of what grace is. And I don't want to begin to, to get too much into detail. Typically, uh, you know, it's like I said, you know, I've just been reading from verse to verse to verse through this series, bringing it out. But, but for any of us Bible scholars in here, we know that 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles are typically the same book. And they might have a few minor details that may be a little bit different. But as I begin to read, the Lord just instructed me to go on to First Kings. So, so traditionally, we would have been starting Second Chronicles today. But we're going to move to First Kings chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. First uh, Kings chapter 3. If not, it's up on the screen. You can take pictures. The good thing about technology is you can take the pictures that you want. You can remember things that need to be said. Uh, but try not to say uh, the iPhone's name and tell her to take a note while you're in church. <laughs> I know that's so easy to do. I do that a lot riding down the road. I tell Siri, take a note. I hope she's not listening now. You used to have to say the hey in front of it, but now it's just she responds either way. Uh, but but nevertheless, uh, we want to read here. Let, now let's just, just go ahead and... Get started real good here. First Kings chapter three, verse three. Solomon loved the Lord and what and followed all of the decrees of his father, who was his father, David. If we if we remember in the first part of this series that David had gave instructions on how Solomon was to live. Now, this was before I'm telling you how to build the temple. This was before I'm giving you the plans for the temple. This is before I'm telling you the cost of the temple. This is before I'm telling you about Thanksgiving. This is how you are supposed to live. So what So what happened here was it, it followed suit with that, is that he followed all the decrees of his father. Now, we're just going to skip verse 4 and go to verse 5 through 14. Follow along with me. That night... The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, You showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on the throne. To sit on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David. But I am like a little child who don't know his way around. You, you see what he was already putting the emphasis on here is, Lord, that I don't know what to do. And here I am, verse number eight, here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great in numbers that they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemy. Verse 12, I will give you what you asked for. 
I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will compare to you for the rest of your life. Wow, what a statement coming from God. And if, oh, remember the condition? And if you follow me and obey my decree and my commandments as your father David did, I will give you long life. Let us pray. Dear glorious and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you today, Lord, that we have been graced, we've been honored, Lord, with the privilege, Lord, that we can stand, Lord, before you today to make a declaration of your word and what your word is speaking to us, your church. Lord, we incline our ears to hear what you have to say. Lord, that we would see you through this word. Lord, that we would have a revelation, Lord, here today of your heart. Open our eyes and our ears, O oh Lord, as we incline them to you today. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your message of hope. We thank you for your message of correction. We thank you for your message of grace. We thank you for your word, Father, that is everlasting. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. All throughout this series, we have gone over what makes the building of the temple possible. And today, it's going to be no different. Solomon had been established as king and his rule was underway. We can already see this. He knew that being king and building a temple was beyond his intelligence and his expertise. How many of us have ever tried to build something? And we had no idea. How many of us have ever popped the hood? I ain't talking about on a 64 and Paul. I ain't talking about a, uh, 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 I'm not talking about these cars that just have a motor there. I'm talking about like the cars we're driving right now. We open the hood and we see all of this and I'm like, uh, that's above my pay grade. Because it becomes what? It's something that you don't know anything about. And see, and what was happening here is that Solomon had called to be, was called to be king, and Solomon had been called to build a temple for God. But the reality here is that Solomon did have not no, bleh, 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 let me get that right. Solomon had no idea on how to do it. You know, when I built the porch on, my, on the back of my house, I'm not much of a carpenter, but I did work with John Federonco for a little while, and, and, and I'm kind of good with my hands here and there. I'm kind of a handyman, a jack-of-all-trades, if you could say. And when I began to look at it, and the Lord had showed me the same things, began to consider the cost. What is it going to cost you to build this porch? And, and, and I said, well, okay, well, Lord, I've considered the cost. I need this many boards. This is how much money it's going to cost me. And so the next thing I do, I was like, well, Lord, where do I start? The Lord told me, he said, you start with the end in mind. What is it supposed to look like? What have I called you? So I want to reference that to us. I want to reference that to where we are in God and what God has called us to do is we start with the end in mind. We know, God, I know you've called me to be a pastor. I know you've called me to start a church. It might not look like what I want it to look like right now. But you know what? I walked by obedience, and I've done it. I've considered the cost. I've, I've looked through the plans that God gave me and how to put everything and how to orchestrate it. And so while I was sitting here, I had no idea that this was going to be a seven-part series and what God was going to speak here. So, so I'll touch on my notes here again. So how many times have we been faced with the duty of building or orchestrating something we absolutely knew nothing about? Going back to the car, going back to a building. Uh, for some of us, it may be cooking. For some of us, it may be... Uh, I don't know, whatever that extraordinary thing may be because what God had called Solomon to do was to do something that was extraordinary. God had called him to do something that he did not just choose for anybody to do. He had sp a specific assignment for Solomon to do. And us in that same boat, God has a specific assignment for us. And what he's called us to do is 
extraordinary. And sometimes we scratch our head and we say, Lord, I don't know what to do and I don't know how to do it. I remember when the Lord called me to pastor. I said, Lord, I said, I, 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 I've preached and I know how to preach and I've preached your word before. I know how to study your word. But Lord, I don't know anything about being a pastor. I don't know anything about that. And Lord, I need your help. So I'm getting into a, a little bit of what we're going to be talking about here today. So Solomon had been charged with establishing the very thing that he knew nothing about. And within this knowing, he also realized that he needed the know-how. He didn't ask for the laborers. He didn't ask for the craftsmen. Because when I first started, I didn't say, well, Lord, I don't, I didn't say, Lord, I don't have a congregation. I said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I don't know even where to start. But the Lord said, begin with the end in mind, knowing what I've called you to do. Let me get back here before I get too far off track. He didn't ask for others' help. He asked for the very thing that he lacked. And what did he ask for? Men could not provide. Men could not provide what he lacked. He asked for an understanding and hearing heart. We're going to get somewhere here in just a minute because we so oftentimes heard that Solomon asked for wisdom. But when you go to the literal translation, it really means, Lord, give me a hearing heart. Give me a hearing heart, an understanding heart. God is wanting us to ask for the very same thing. Because we're talking about building a temple here. And what was the temple? It hosted what? The presence of God. And, and as we are walking through life, as we are walking through our day-to-day -day activities, God wants a place for His Spirit to dwell. And where His Spirit is to dwell, it's not just to be some shack. You see, because He lived in, in a tabernacle for so many years from Exodus chapter 26, and here we are in Second Chronicles, and God says, hey, I want a house. I'm, I'm tired of what you call to be this. You know, this is what I had set forward. But it's just like uh, Isaac, when he was following his son, following his father, he went to where he was being led. So he's called us to build. What he's called us to build is beyond our know-how. What God has called SLM to do right here is beyond our know-how what god has called you to do uh, while you're sitting at a house enjoying retirement is beyond our know-how you see you, we're not here we're not here for our own purpose we're here for his purpose and if we can't get that into our thick score that we're here for his purpose then we've missed the whole scheme of things we've missed the bigger picture and we've talked about that earlier this year in a series called the bigger picture and you can go back and view that as well so, so once we know that we are insufficient in our ability, we can then surrender and allow God to build his temple through us. This surrender is knowing that we cannot do it within our own power and ability, but through him, all things are possible. We remember Paul said that in the book of Philippians, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So for so many years, I, I've heard that Solomon asked for wisdom. Okay, but the, the reality is that he asked for a hearing heart. So what he had to do was he had to be able to incline his ear to hear. So how many times have we heard something we don't like to hear? But the reality is, is that we know it's truth. So let's just give you a fine example. Christmas is coming up. The, the festives have started, you know, with Thanksgiving, with the turkeys, with the hams, with the collard greens, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. So what happens is, see, and I got a doctor's appointment December the 22nd for my physical. I don't know why in the world I've set these things up, <laughs> knowing, knowing that I ain't going to lose the weight that I want to lose. But I'm going to go stand on that scale, and I'm going to look at that scale, and I'm going to say, this scale is a lie. But how can I say it's a lie when, when the reality is, is that it says a said number. I'm not going to tell you what it says. <laughs> I can make up my own number, right? But I'm not going to lie. But it says a said number. See, just because it, I, I did not want to see that, just because I did not want to hear that, doesn't change the fact that it's truth. And Jesus said that you shall, what did he say in John chapter 8? He said, you shall know the truth. What it means to know, it means to have a revelation. You, you shall know the truth, and the truth will then 
set you free. If I realize that, that my 250 pounds, oops, I said it, that my 250 pounds is not where I want to be, but if I don't do anything to change it, then that's all it's ever going to be. And if I don't watch it, it's going to be more than what I want it to be. But the fact is, is that it's, it's, it's not what I want to hear. And so having a hearing heart is not a discernment for yourself, but he said that I may have a discerning heart or that I may have a hearing heart that I may what? That I may discern between what's right and wrong. You see, in the book of Jeremiah, it says that there's a way that seems right to man. There's a way that seems right. We, we live in a society, we live in a culture now. Oh, love is love. But what does the scripture say? God is love. Love isn't love. God is love. And anything outside of God, anything opposite of God, anything that's contrary to God is not love. I'm just going to be real here this morning. I'm going to let the Bible speak to us real good. Because this is what puts me in check so oftentimes. Every single day, every time that I open this, what did James say? He said that when we look into the perfect law of liberty, the liberty, when we look into the letter that can set us free, and we see what kind of person we are, and if we walk away, we are swift to forget. So that means we need to oftentimes stay in front of the mirror. You know, how many of us have, I'm going to be careful on this, what I tread, that we, we've seen people where they carry around a mirror and they're constantly looking in it, they're checking their makeup, and they're, they're, they're making themselves to look like how they want to be looked. But see, the reality is, see, there I said it again, I'm just going to go with the flow because that's my favorite saying. But the reality is on this, as long as we're looking into God's Word, we are going to be changed into His image and His likeness because that's what He's called us to be. Matter of fact, you know, that was the very first thing that God had called us to. He said that we were created in his likeness and his image. So and to hear, in this reference is to hear what God is speaking. Solomon wanted to hear God's voice for instructions of ruling over a nation. Solomon's desire was to rule and to orchestrate how God wanted him to, not how Solomon wanted to. So, so I've been in the same boat that, Lord... Since I don't know how to pastor, since I don't know how to bring the sheep in, since I don't know how to be the shepherd of a flock, Lord, I need your know-how. I need you. I'm not going to follow. Just follow this 10-step procedure right here, and you'll be the best pastor in the world. Baloney. Follow God's heart. Have a hearing ear to hear what he has to say. So as God is calling me and you to build a temple, as he's calling us to build a place in which that his presence can reside, we need to be hearing what he has to say. And oftentimes it may be something that we don't want to hear. So the, the, that uh, every step of this process would be God-ordained. That's why he wanted to hear it, because everything that God was building, God was in control of it. And if God's in control of it, then it's going to be built exactly how he wants it. And that's why I have to keep my ear inclined so oftentimes, even when it's what I don't want to hear God say. But how many times are we going to hear him if we're not speaking to him? Because prayer is a what? Prayer is a conversation. It's a dialogue. I speak, he speaks. It's not a monologue. I speak and okay, well, I'm, amen, I'm done. I'm going about the rest of my day. That, that dialogue is this a two-way conversation. The word prayer comes back to a root word to means to interact, an interaction. So as we also know that Solomon, he wrote the book of Proverbs. And he had to say this in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Fear of the Lord is the foundation. What is the foundation? If we build a house, what's the very first thing that goes in the ground before we do anything? It's a foundation. It's the, the very first thing. So how many times have we ever seen a house built without a foundation? And if they build it without a foundation, well, what is it quick to do when the storms and the trials of life come their way? They're quick to fall. They're quick to fall away. 
They're quick to go back to what was previous. But the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. You see here, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived and ever has lived as far as according to God's word. And he had to say that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of what kind of knowledge? True knowledge. Do you know what, that, you know what else that tells me? If there's something true, then to every truth is a, is a false. So there is a false knowledge that's being taught today. There is a false knowledge that the world is teaching us today. And, and we could go on and on and on about that, but the reality is, is we're gonna, we've got to flow with God's word. He said, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10, Solomon also said this. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. How many of us have ever made bad judgment calls? Probably more than we've made good ones, to be honest with you. But then let me ask you this. How much of God's voice did we involve in those bad calls? Man, I'm going to throw both hands up because I'm guilty as charged. That's just, that's how it is. That's the actuality. So I changed it from reality to actuality. Becky said, well, what's the difference? <laughs> it's the same thing. It's just a different word. <laughs> so Solomon had the understanding that only a handful of people could grasp over this time. We're still sitting in that same boat. That a lot of people are lacking that healthy fear of God. And so, so what we have now is we don't have true wisdom that's running rampant in the society that we live in. I'm not just talking about in America. I'm talking about all across the world because we've done what? We've lost the fear of God. And, and, and so I want, I want to make the example here that the fear of God is not to be frightened. It's not to be afraid of him, but it's to hold him in high esteem, to, to have deep reverence for him you know in the book of hebrews you know the writer of hebrews it said that jesus prayers were heard because of what his fear of the lord it's one thing to pray it's another thing to be heard you see because when i fall on my knees sometimes not physically because i don't get up as good as i used to amen and i'm probably one of the younger ones in here uh but but it, but when my heart, when I fall on my knees to pray, I know that God hears my prayers. And you know why I know God hears my prayers? Because every facet of my life is revolved around Him. He, he's, he's got me like the, the, the potter wheel. You remember the, the potter's wheel? You know that I believe it was an Isaiah, uh, maybe it was Jeremiah. Uh, don't quote me on that. I'll, I'll get back with you. But, but when you think about a piece of clay, when they put it on the wheel... Where does that clay have to be placed at? In the center of the wheel so it can be shaped into everything that it's supposed to be. And, but if it's sitting on the side, it becomes lopsided and it's counterweight. And it's not being formed into the image that it was destined to be. So we've got to be in the center of God's will. We've got to be doing everything that God's called us for. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. All who fear the Lord will what? Did it say dislike? Did it, did it say dislike? It, did, did I misread this? Did, do I have the wrong translation up here? It says hate. And, and this word hate means, when you look at it, it means with a vengeance. So I go back to what God had spoke to me some years ago. He said, when you view sin the same way that I view sin, then we will respond to sin the same way that he responds to sin. And if we're not responding to sin the same way that he responds to sin, then what we lack is called the fear of God. That we lack that deep reverence for him. If I go out of town, I've used this example, I'll use it again. I go out of town, I, I, I go sit at the restaurant, and the waitress is pretty, and the first thing I do is I take my ring off, and I put it in my pocket. Oh, my wife's not here, I'm out of town, nobody sees me, nobody sees what I'm doing. You see, but what the reality is, is it still doesn't change the fact that we're married. It still doesn't change the fact that she loves me. It still doesn't change the fact that she trusts me. It doesn't change the fact that I belong to her. But you know what the reality is on that? 
is I just did what my wife couldn't see. But how many things can we hide from God? Oh, wow. Everything is open. It, it is open and it is fully visible and God sees everything. He knows the numbers of hair on our head, even for those of us that may not have none. But he knows the number of hair in my beard. He knows the number of hair that may be in your armpits. Every one of them are counted. He knows everything about us. So why do we think that we can live in such a lifestyle or in such a way that it's not visible to God? But let me finish with this verse right here. Because it gets better. He said, all who fear the Lord will hate will. 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 Hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride. Because pride is what? Pride is the opposite of humility. And arrogance. Corruption. And perverse speech. I'm just going to let that speak to you. It's not always about cursing. But what it is about is about all these vulgar things that may come out of our mouth. When we're disrespectful to our spouse, when we're disrespectful to our parents. And I know I have been in times past when I was younger, but you know, I honor my mother and my father so much. And I honor my father-in-law and my mother-in-law. I call them mom and dad. I mean, after being married for 25 years to their wonderful daughter, they should be mom and dad by now, right? So Solomon's wisdom was due to who he was in God. And without a doubt, King David installed this in him. This is a revelation that David had to say. David wrote in Psalms 25, chapter 14, he says this. The Lord is a friend to those who what? To those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. How many of us have been to the grocery store this week? How many of us begin to talk to the waitress as if we personally knew them? I'm not talking about if you really know them, but I'm talking about a stranger. Did, did you share your secrets with them? Did you share the plan that you have for your life? Did you share the plan that for, for constructing this temple? Have you shared with them your innermost secrets? Well, why not? Because they're not a friend. So why would you ever confide in them? What makes us think any differently? Why would God confide in us if we don't respect him? Why would my wife ever respect me if I disrespected her? If I, if I did not love her as a husband is supposed to love her, then why would she ever share with me everything that's on her mind? Solomon's heart heard from God on the matter of ruling and building. And it was not a gift that Solomon was born with, but he was in awe of God that positioned him for the extraordinary. Because his temple was to be extraordinary. We, as we read back in the Chronicles, you know, David made sure that Solomon knew. He said, not everyone can do this. This is not for the faint at heart. And what God has called us to do, not just here at SLM, Salt Light Ministry, but what, but what God has called us to do in our individual lives is to build a place for His presence to dwell. You see, I'm, I'm not here to build a church. I, I'm here to extend the kingdom of God. And, and, and people may come and people may go, but the reality is, is I want you to hear the very thing that can change your life, the thing that can transform you into who He's called us to be. It was God's grace that empowered Solomon to be the wisest to ever live. The gift of grace. An empowerment that takes us beyond our natural ability because Solomon had no wisdom, right? He asked. He, he asked for something. So that means he was lacking in this area. So here we are. Lord, I'm lacking on understanding how to be a pastor. Lord, I'm lacking in knowing how to fulfill what you've called me to. Okay, well, that's great. Because you know what? Now God, can, now God can do what he does best. Keep following me here. We have talked about the grace of God so much this year. We have we not. We have. Almost in every single series, I bring out that facet or I bring out that point about grace. So much this year, that, but, but to understand it, it must be experienced. 
when we were younger, maybe some of us have rode a roller coaster ride, right? And maybe we try to we try to explain to our friends that are there, or maybe some of us that are older, maybe it's a fast car that we rode in. And you're trying to explain how, how this ride made you feel. You see, but you could not explain to them they had to do what? They had to experience it. And when they experienced it, then guess what? They got the same feeling that you got. And any time that I've come across a Christian or a person that has a true relationship, those that are walking in true knowledge, those that walk in the fear of God, they, they've experienced it. And they understand. And Pastor, I don't understand why you're on this page. But you can tell you what, you can get on the same page too, but you got to do what? You've got to practice your healthy fear of God. You've got to practice and you've got to experience that. We've all ate banana, mama's banana pudding before, right? And then we try to go somewhere else and we try to eat somebody else's banana pudding. It's like, oh man, this just don't taste the same. It's missing this. It's missing that. Uh, but when you get back, when you get back to what is true to you, you enjoy it. And nothing else can substitute it. And nothing else in our life can substitute God's word. Nothing else can substitute. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. When we taste and we see that he's good, when we've had a true encounter, when we've had that true experience on the roller coaster, then we don't, we don't, we don't have to say this is what it feels like. You know what it feels like. You've experienced it, and you know you walk with God. We talked about that in a series earlier this year, the fellowship with the king. Fellowship means to walk, to be in mutual movement with him. Thank you, Lord. So experiencing this gracious gift of God is the only game changer. It's the only thing that can change the whole game. It's the only thing. How many times have we, now let's just be transparent here. How many, you know how many times I was working on this floor and I was doing this within my own ability because I've done a little bit of floor. And, and by the time I got right here and got around to the stage, you can see a few gaps here. Yeah, I'm telling on, on my ability. But when I got here, I said, Lord, I'm frustrated. Because I don't know what to do from here. Every step that I take is counter-reacting within itself. And the Lord gave me a vision. He said, begin to build up. Begin to build up around this side your weight so that it won't come around. And, man, by the time I got over here, everything began to lay smoothly. And I was like, why didn't I just do this to start with? So how many times have things begin to become corrected once we begin to acknowledge him? Man, again guilty as charged so now so now the experience is is why don't we do that from the beginning from now on <laughs> uh, matter of fact um you know it, the, about this game changer you know uh, it puts us in right standings with god as well this grace this gracious gift turn with me to romans chapter 5 verses 12 When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. No brainer. Adam's sin brought death. Yep, because the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 30. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there had not yet been any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam and the, to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God, who, uh, as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. Verse 15. 15. But there is a great difference. Oh, man, understand this is a great difference here. There's a difference between ability and God's grace. And we're going to show you here in just a second. There is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's what? Wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness. You notice he differentiates the difference between being forgiven and the grace of God. Follow me here. To many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift 
It's a free gift. Somebody say free gift. Leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who what? receive it. That means you can choose not to receive a gift. I don't know about you, but comes my birthday, come anniversary, come Christmas time, I'm not rejecting a gift. Amen. <laughs> it doesn't matter the size of the gift because I like little gifts as much as I like big gifts. If you want a gift for Pastor James, Pastor James likes technology. Uh, it, it, it makes things a little bit easier sometimes, but I'm not asking for no gifts by no means. But he says, for all who have received it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So Paul's telling us here, Paul was telling the Roman church, he was telling the Romans... That is what makes us right with God is God's grace. So, yes, it is a forgiveness of sin, but it is also a free gift. It is unmerited favor. It is empowerment. And we're going to show you that here in just a minute. But he said all who receive it will live in triumph over sin. So when we walk in the grace of God, then that, then that tells me what? That sin will no longer have dominion over my life. What does dominion mean? To rule. Oh, Lord, I just can't help from looking at these young girls that come walking by me all the time. Oh, Lord, I, can't, I, just, I just like this show. It's so funny. I'm just going to be real here with you today. I like this show so much, and I know that, that they are constantly cursing. I, I, I like this style of music, Lord. I don't listen to the words. I listen to the beat. Uh, th just all these things. That we are still living in bondage to. Did we not talk about that last week? That the children of Israel was freed from Egypt. But they still had an Egypt mentality. Because they did what? They continued to walk and to live in it for 40 years. And yet they did not receive the promise that God had gave them. It wasn't that God didn't fulfill his part of the promise. They didn't fulfill their part of the promise. It was that if condition. That was that condition of if you do this. Well, we tell our kids, if you clean your room, if you do this, if you make good grades. Well, I got grades. If you make good grades, if you clean your room, if is the condition. So we see that, that God has conditioned us to being able to receive his promises. Now, yes, all of his promises are yes and amen, or so be it. But the reality is, is there's a part that we have to play in this as well. Did you notice that Paul put grace and forgiveness in the same sentence, which makes them synonymous, but not necessarily the same. But they go hand in hand. It is not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus did. Amen. Lest that any man should boast according to Paul. It is not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did. We now have access by faith unto an undeserved privilege of not only forgiveness, but empowerment. So not only can we be freed and forgiven of sin, now we can have dominion over sin. Now we can live a life that we don't live sinful you know i had a young man ask me one time he said pastor james he said is it is it at all possible to not sin i said well according to the bible it is because god's grace empowers us not to sin but it's a free gift and we have to choose to receive it again remembering that discerning heart that hearing heart means sometimes we're going to hear things that we don't want to hear but it's going to be things that we need to hear because sometimes we've told our kids the very same thing right because and why because we love them did, did god not say that i chasten those that i love what does chasten mean it doesn't mean it doesn't mean punishment it means correction God brings correction to those that he loves. If you see your kid running out in the road, what are you going to do? You're going to sternly correct them. Why? Because you love them and you don't want harm to come their way. But the very first thing that they're thinking is mom and dad don't want me to have fun. You see, Jesus wants us to have fun, but he wants us to have his fun and not the fun that the world has to offer. 
preaching real good here this morning. It's okay. The comparison of Adam's sin, which was disobedience and self-righteousness. Disobedience was to the word that was given by God and the ideology that he could be knowledgeable within his own strength because there was one tree that he couldn't eat from, right? But he had two supreme trees. One was the tree of life and the other tree was the tree of knowledge. But which one did he choose? He didn't choose life because here we're sitting right now and, and we're, we, we're still needing Jesus to be that advocate with the Father. So Adam had two choices of two supreme trees, but he chose wrong because the serpent caused him to do what? To question God's word. Did God really say? Did God really say? Did God really say that your kids were going to be saved? Did God really say that your finances were going to be okay? Did, did God really say for you to build a church? Did God really call you to be a pastor? You see all the kind of things that he wants to get you to question God's heart. If he can get you to question God's word, then he's already got a foot in the door. What happens when you leave the door open? Something's coming in or something's going out. One, He tried to come in my house, but he... I, I'm going to tell this little story. I ain't going to say her names, but, uh, but I, I knew this woman one time when I was a kid. You know, when I began to act up around the house, she'd grab the, the broom out the closet and she'd start sweeping in the house. Get out of here, devil. You're not welcome here. How many times have we been sweeping our house, removing the devil from a place in which that he don't belong? That, that one's for free. <laughs> So here we are today, we're faced with the same two choices of the two, of life or the knowledge. Which one are you partaking of? If we already know what one will produce, then why do we continue to eat from it? If we know, if we know that that fire is hot and, and it got us the first time, how many of us have touched the burner on the stove? And then what happens, did we touch it a second time or did we learn from it? Well, some, but, but when we think about that and we think about it, why do we continue to play with the very things that's going to burn us? Why? 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 Do we think that, that the results change? I, just preach it to myself here this morning, too. If we already know that one will produce, what one will produce, then why we continue to eat from it? It's because of Jesus that we can partake freely of the life he has so graciously provided by walking in the fullness of God. And we have been given this opportunity of such a, of a gracious gift. Last week's word for Thanksgiving was this, Eucharistia. So in this week's Greek word for grace is charis. Do you notice what's in the middle of Eucharistia? Is it not the same word as charis? And charis, it means a gift. A gift, which, which by the way, that Greek word for charis is grace. It is a gift. Uh, and it means gift, a gift in which has been given and received. A gift is something that you benefit from I, I benefit from every gift that's been given to me unless it's been a gag gift you see but what god has to offer us is the fullness because we read in john 1 16 it said and the grace of god in the fullness of was the fullness of jesus christ so sometimes the people associate this word as forgiveness of sins due to an understanding of unmerited favor and they are absolutely correct in their knowledge of this. Grace is forgiveness of God. But it's like this. I mean, anybody got a coin? If not, okay, well, let's just imagine in your mind. Those that are viewing us online, imagine in your mind you've got a coin, a quarter. And on one side is the heads and on the other side is the tail. But do you not need both sides of the coin to make it to be the value that it was created to be? So if we have a coin that always... Just 
and no tails, well, it doesn't carry that true value. So, and that's the same reference of grace. We understand that grace is forgiveness of sin, but we have failed to understand that God's grace is a gift. It is an, an empowerment. And that was the same thing that Solomon got here was he got something that he didn't have. And it was a gift. So, so, uh, so we know that a coin has two sides, and we understand that, that only one side, um, let me correct myself, whether it's heads or tails, its value is based off of both sides. Absolutely true. All throughout the New Testament, we will see the word grace, and it is used 123 times in the ESV version, which English Standard Version, but even more in the KJV, King James Version. And 86 of those times of the 123 times, Paul used this word charis. He used this. Let me give you one example here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient. What is his gift is sufficient. That means it's not going to run out. How many of us have ever been to the ATM and you try to get money out and it said insufficient funds? I mean, come on. We, we act like we've always had money. But I remember going many times and it would say insufficient funds. And I'm like, man, there's got, there's got to be a $20 bill in here somewhere. You see, but it, it wasn't there because it, I, it, 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 just, it wasn't there. And you can't make that up. And he says, so for my grace is sufficient for you. For my what? So, so did he not just associate grace as being sufficient? But now he says, my what? My power is made perfect in your weakness. So we're witnessing the very same thing that Solomon had here. Lord, I need your wisdom. I need to hear your heart on the matter of building what you called me to build. I need something that I don't possess. That is my weakness. When I don't possess it, it is insufficient. It is, it is lacking. So therefore, here's what, here's what Paul continues to say. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly on my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, harsh, uh, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. Follow this one. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we walk in God's grace, when we walk in his empowerment, we are weak in our abilities, but our weaknesses have showed that his grace is sufficient. Lord, I don't know how to pastor, but I know you do. You know the hearts. Lord, I'm leaning on you for every single step. Every part of this process, everything that you've wanted about this, how many... Uh, should I hang up lights? Why should I build the stage? How many chairs should I put out? Uh, who should I call uh, by name of these chairs? How should, I, how should I make the foyer look? How should I set up the nursery? How should I set up the sound booth? You see, I question God about everything because I needed His know-how. We've had not one person in here setting up sound we've not had one person here building a stage we've had we i did have a help a little help with the floor because we were running short on time my brother-in-law came that wall that privacy wall that got put up the the office that got set there i'm not a carpenter god i need you in every facet i got down to the point now, now you're going to see my weakness here because when the lights come on at the end Please don't look at the imperfection of me mudding a sheetrock wall. Because <laughs> that's hard to do. And if you don't do that a lot, you will find out how hard it really is. Hanging it's not a hard part. It's mudding. Getting the sanding process down. Because it's not something that you mud at one time. You sand it and man, it's good to go. Now maybe if you're a really good sheetrocker. But I think you're probably looking at about three or four times of mudding it and sanding it. And we just did not have the time for that. Because we were trying to be set up. But see, every part of this. you know, Nobody showed me how to set up sounds. Nobody showed me how to set up lights. Nobody showed me how to do any of this of what was done. But God showed me. God gave me a blueprint. I got it on my computer. I could show you the blueprint of how God said to set this place up. God is my witness. My wife is my witness. 
But see, it was in my weakness where God was able to shine. You see, because when people walked in here on the first Sunday, we had a few visitors on the first Sunday and walked in here and they were like, wow, this was a warehouse. This used to be a printing shop. A, a little over a month ago, this is our fifth Sunday in here. And what God has already turned it into. But what he's done is he's building a temple here. He's building a place for his presence to dwell. But I want to make that symbolic to what our life looks like for him. What are we building for his presence to dwell? Paul preached. Paul used. Paul emphasized so profoundly on grace. That it shifted him from who he was to who God called him to be. Because do we remember who Paul was before he was Paul? Was his name not Saul of Tarshish? Was he not a Pharisee? Did he not go out persecuting and putting Christians to death? The very people that he's now preaching to, these were the people that he was killing. That he was having put to death. Do you not remember that he was there when Stephen was stoned to death? You see, and man, we could get on the fact of Stephen here, but that's not in my notes. And I'm not going to give that one to you for free today since we have a time constraint. But, you know, when Paul, Paul, you know, 1 Corinthians was the first letter that Paul wrote. So here we read this out of 2 Corinthians. That means this letter followed very shortly after the first one. And this was 20 years after Paul had been converted from being Saul to being Paul. You see, I like it when God gives us name changes. What is your name? We preached that earlier this year. You see, but it took 20 years for Paul to get this revelation of God's grace. 20 years. It took 20 years for him to understand that God's grace works best in his weakness. Does that mean for 20 years Paul tried to do things on his own? And it took him 20 years before he started churches. You see, I've understood something. How many of us ever cut a tree down? How many of us ever cut a tree down with an axe? Or a bush axe? I'm a surveyor, so an axe. So, so I, I wanna, I'll make this similarity here with you. Because I'm a surveyor by trade, I've got a bush axe that I've had for 20 years. And if you'd see it, you'd be like, yeah, you've cut a lot of trees with that thing. You've cut a lot of brush. You see, but it, it, did I try to cut it with a dull axe or did I put an edge on it? You see, every time we get on our knees, every time we get in God's word, what are we doing? Every time that we are around like people that are just so extravagant and building the extraordinary that God's called them to build, then what are we doing? We're putting an edge on our sword. We're putting an edge on our blade. So if you've never, ever, ever tried cutting a tree down with a dull axe or a bush axe, I don't suggest that you do it. Because what's going to happen is you're going to get tired. And you're going to get frustrated. You see, but when you put that thing down, when you take, when you take the time, now you see, because that blade was not going to put an edge on it by itself. You got to get down there with that file. And you got to begin to file it, file it down. You'll watch those things that has caused it to be dull. You'll watch it to begin to fall off of you. And when you place yourself in God's Word and you stay consistent in it, and, and when you go with the flow of what He's doing with you, I know sometimes it may be rough. I know sometimes it may be hard. I know sometimes that it may be discouraging. But the reality is, is that God is turning you into who He's called you to be. What are we doing? Hallelujah. In closing today, I'd like to bring out one more very important part of this aspect. We're going to go back to 1 Kings chapter 3. Verse 15. And it says here, it said, And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Sometimes we feel like what God's called us to do is just a dream. It feels like that it's only a fantasy. It feels like it's a fairy tale. You see, but Solomon was faced in a position. Watch this. Then he came to Jerusalem and he stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all the servants. 
You see, what Solomon realized here was that it was a dream. But yeah, he was faced with these two choices. Was it just a dream? Or is this really God speaking to me? We are faced in that same situation today. Did God really call you to pastor a church? Did He really call you to start a church? I'm not, I'm not seeing that you call yourself what you may call to be a pastor. I'm, I'm not seeing your shepherd. I'm not seeing your flock. Do I become deterred by what my eyes see or by what God's word has spoken to me? I, I, I choose to believe this. God said, Whose report are you going to believe? He said, let my word be truth and every else a lie. There's the only one thing that is absolute truth here. So Solomon received this gift of hearing by faith. Now watch this in Romans chapter, chapter 5 verse 2. Through him, who was him? Who is him when Paul's referring to in him? Who's him? Jesus, right? Jesus Christ, so follow me here. He said, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Who is him? Jesus, right? So, and if Jesus, what was Jesus known in John chapter 1? The word of God. The word of God. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. And the word was with God. So Jesus represents the word of God, the spoken word of God, the written word of God. He is the logos. He is the, um, the, the rhema. He is the spoken and the written. So, but that means through him, through Jesus, we've been given access. When you have a key to your door, your truck, what does that do? That gives you permission to do what? To drive it. God has given us access to be empowered to do what He has called us to do, even if we don't understand it. Everything that God has called us to do doesn't mean that we have the ability to do, because He doesn't qualify. He doesn't. He, he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those that He calls. And what God has done here at SLM, what God is doing in your life, is He's called us. And then he qualifies for us. Uh, you know, if any of us, you know, I, I get an opportunity to hire people for work. You know, and, and, and this is no knock against people that go to college. I want you to go to college. I want you to get an education. But then I have these kids that come in. Yeah, I say kids because they're in their early 20s. So they're kids to me because my oldest one's almost 29 years old. So, but when you, but when they come in and, and, and man, I've, I've got a degree in geology. I got a degree in this. I got a degree in that. But can you survey? Can you cut line? Can you work in a hundred degree weather? Can you work three miles away from the truck into the woods? Can you do that? Because your, your education means nothing to me if you don't have the longevity to be able to go out there and do it. So I, I, I want somebody that has a willing heart to go do it. The education makes me no difference. You, you see, when I came back to the Lord uh, some five years ago and the Lord spoke and he told me that I was going to pastor a church. And I said, Lord, I've walked away from you for so long. I have forgotten every scripture that I could ever quote besides John 3.16. I don't remember how to study your word. I don't remember how to preach, Lord. My testimony is so perverted right now because people have seen me the way that I, I, I am before I came back to you. They've seen who I was, and that name has perceived me. But God says, I've called you. I've called you. And you're going to start a church, and you're going to minister, and you're going to be a pastor. And then the Lord began to show me 10 people then the lord showed me a hundred people this was in a vision as paul said whether in this body or out of this body i don't know god knows and that's where i was then god showed me a thousand people then god showed me five thousand people then god showed me ten thousand people and then he has showed me a building that has no end 
it isn't about the mean, the people that I can get in these seats here. It's about the lives that can be touched through that screen. It's about the lives that can be touched through the hearing of the podcast. It's about the lives that can be touched uh, by my witness to them every day. It's about the, the lives that can be touched in my testimony to people and who God has changed me to be because I couldn't do it, but God has called me to do it. So it's through God's word. It's through God's word. It is through God's word that we've been empowered. To do everything that he's called us to do. I say it every week. It doesn't matter of our age. It doesn't matter of our gender. It doesn't matter of our skin color. It doesn't matter of our political standings. God has called us all to do something. And I'm here to tell you today that you can't do it in your own ability. Because if you do, you know that you will miserably fail. I'm a witness. But I'm also witness to what God's grace can do because we stand here and I walk in the fullness and the obedience of what God has called me to do. God has given me such a gracious gift of grace. Because I even had to ask, Lord, Lord, help me to love people. Because I know that that's a requirement of being a pastor. Is that you have to take the good with the bad. And when I look at people, I decide to see what God sees in them. God's called us all to do something. Your choice from here is which tree are you going to eat from now? Which one is it going to be? If you bow your heads for a few moments. Lord, where do we even begin? Lord, I thank you for your grace. Yes, Lord, I do thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. Lord, that it has covered the multitude. But Lord, I also thank you, Lord, that you've empowered me. Lord, and as we sit here today, Lord, those that may be sitting in seats, those that may be viewing us online, God's given you a free gift. God's given you something that's beyond your ability. He even said that it's perfected in your weakness. When I'm weak, He is strong. Lord, help us today to realize, Lord, that we don't have to do this by ourselves. We don't have to do this alone. Lord, we have you. And we have everything that we need in you. Lord, by faith, Lord, right now, Lord, we take this key that gives us access, Lord, by faith, into the grace, Lord, that's been preached here today. You see, Solomon was faced with the decision to receive it or not to receive it. But Lord, by faith today, Lord, I continue to receive, as Peter said, Lord, that your grace may be multiplied. Lord, and I'm not, I'm not a super smart guy, but I know that multiplication is a lot faster than addition. Lord, we're sitting at an end time right now. We're sitting in a time and a moment, Lord, that you could split the eastern sky and you could come back right now. And so many people are trying to live a life before you in their own ability. But yet, Lord, if we would just surrender. Lord, as I told a young man the other day, I said, it's not the sin that you struggle with. I said, it's your surrender to God that you struggle with. Sin is just a byproduct. The real struggle is your, is your surrender. To surrender means to no longer resist. Lord, we thank you today, Lord, again for your word. We thank you, Lord, it has been so life-changing. Lord, grace us, Lord, this week. Grace us each day, Lord, that we will make the decisions 
that we would have a hearing heart, Lord, to hear your word, to discern between the difference between what is right and what's wrong. And Lord, and when we walk in this healthy fear of you, Lord, we'll understand and we'll know why. Keep us safe, Lord, as we part ways here today. Lord, I pray that if someone doesn't know you, Lord, right now, Holy Spirit, you're already doing what you do best. You're doing the very first thing that the Scripture spoke of, that you would bring conviction of sin. Sin just is just, it's just the opposite of who God is. It's just as simple as repenting and turning to God. What does repent to me? Greek word for repent is metania, and it means to have a change of heart that's manifested by the way that we live. Walk out your profession. Walk it out. And let God grace you with the ability to do so. Lord, we love you today. We thank you. We praise you. We glorify you and we honor you because it's all done by your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. And amen. Those that would like to give tithe and offering, we do. We will take an envelope, a check. We take a debit card. It's not that I'm asking you for money. I'm not. I'm just asking you to walk out what God's called you to do. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.